Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today on the What Fuels You podcast, I'm talking to Heather Rogers. Heather fell in love with dermatology immediately during the rotation, her third year in medical school at the University of Washington. She then completed her residency at Columbia University Medical Center, where she served as chief resident and started the first dermatology clinic for organ transplant patients in the state of New York. Today, Heather is Seattle top doc, the owner of Modern Dermatology, and the founder of Dr. Rogers Skin Solution. She's an author, a wife, a mother, and friend. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here. So um, we're going to start with rapid fire, and then I'm going to disclose like who you are and how I fell in love with you. So, um, okay. First, we're going skincare. What are the three most important skincare must-haves as far as routine? First and foremost, sunscreen. It's got to be 10% zinc-based sunscreen, and you have to wear it every day. I do not leave my house without sunscreen or mascara. (laughs) I can't do it. Okay. (laughs) Um, In addition to that, you have to wash your face before bed. And in addition to that, you need Restore Healing Balm because it really fixes everything. Oh, nice. I love Restore. I'm excited for you to share it with our listeners. Okay. We're going to get to this, but what is your dream, like, ideal place to go sailing? Uh, so um, this weekend was the memorial service for my 104-year-old grandmother who passed away. 104? Uh-huh. Amazing, amazing woman, to say the least. But um, her request was to have her ashes be scattered around the north tower of the Golden Gate Bridge. And all through college, um, I raced. I was a in, in Stanford. I was a collegiate sail racer, and we would always win the St. Francis Regatta in San Francisco Bay under the Golden Gate Bridge. So I think, even though I've done it a million times, I could always do it a million more times. Sailing in San Francisco Bay is like my oh happy my gosh. Was she a sailor? She was not a sailor, but she was a Bay Area girl, and Aww. you know, she lived in Marin for. Um, the majority of her life and looked at the bridge and that's where she wanted to be. And actually she went to Cal and she danced on the top of the North Tower of the Golden Gate Bridge Aww. as a reporter in like the 1930s. That's so, so So it's sweet. pretty cool. Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question. <laughs> Who's your favorite band? We've never touched music, so I'm oh, just curious. So, um, you too. Oh, yeah. I'm old and I... You're not old. Um, yeah. I think that most of... Your skincare makes you look young. High school was being obsessed with... Middle school and high school was you too, um, for sure. Do you have a hidden talent? Um, I'm really good at making pizza. Oh, like <laughs> with homemade dough? Everything homemade. Like, I mean, I don't make the cheese, but otherwise everything's made from scratch and I really enjoy doing it. Okay. Well, you'll have to tell me what to do so I can be like <laughs> shiny mom like you. Um, okay. Outside of the What Fuels You podcast, because you've been an awesome supporter and listener, what is your favorite podcast? I am most inspired by um, how I built this with Guy Raz. And if I need to like get some exercise or blow off some steam, I can always run farther if I'm listening to that podcast. Yeah. yeah. And then I have had to um, edit my consumption of the news recently. And I love The Daily. It does a wonderful job of just like giving you 20 minutes about something important yeah. and less of the bullshit. Yeah. The Daily is great. Do you ever listen to The Skim? <laughs> The podcast. No, I don't, but I get it. It's literally five minutes, and it's like nuggets of like, here's the net net of what's going on in the world, which is helpful. I get the emails Um, from the skim, and I just love the first quote where it's like, this is always the funniest thing. It's like a guarantee. I love the skim. Love, love, love. I want them to be on How I Built This. I would think that's a great idea. Yeah, because they're incredible and very inspiring. Okay, final question, and then we'll get to the the nuggets of our chat. Um, Do you love to win or hate to lose? I love to win. I don't mind losing. I don't, um, I just don't like not trying. I have to try. Yeah. 
I'm the same way. And a lot of people that are competitive, because I'm assuming you're probably a little competitive. <laughs> Just a wee bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. And we became fast friends because you are my germ. And this is a different podcast because typically I've had CEOs of a lot of tech companies. Um, but you have built quite an empire with your practice, your dermatology practice, and then also your skincare business, which you've launched, which is booming. Um, so tell me about you, like, pre-Who I'm Meeting today. What were you like as a kid? Um, I was the youngest, the younger of two kids. So I have an older sister and myself. Grew up in Olympia. Um, very wholesome, like, lovely, perfect, happily married parents. Um, everything in my immediate family was actually quite content. Um, I <laughs> was definitely awkward and definitely had my fair share of hurdles. Um, I had a significant speech impediment, um, so I was in speech therapy until sixth grade. Sixth grade, I got diagnosed with scoliosis. I got a scoliosis brace in seventh grade, which I got to wear until I was a senior in high school. What? Wait, you wore a brace from seventh grade <laughs> to senior year of high school? 23 hours a day. I was in a scoliosis brace. Wait, 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 wait. So how in the world does somebody who's wearing a brace from seventh grade to senior year end up sailing in college? So, I mean, I played, I was a varsity athlete all the way through high school. I played tennis. I went to state every year. I wasn't as good as you, but I was capable. You never know. (laughs) I was not capable enough to play it in college level. Um, And I took my brace off for practicing. I slept in it. I studied in it. I wore it to school. It came off really just for sports. Um, And, you know, when you sail, you could wear a brace. You didn't really not have to have a scoliosis brace on when you sailed. I did, when I raced dinghies in high school, I would take the brace off. But I mean, it was, it was a bummer, but it was something where it was that or have spine surgery and I wasn't going to have spine surgery. And um, I just remember they used to give us those tests. I don't think they do that anymore where you like touch I your toes. I think they actually do. I don't um, feel like my kids have told me. I just remember grade. that was like, yeah, in sixth touch grade, your toes. you bend over and touch your toes. And I got pulled out. I was the girl who got pulled out. And they're like, hmm, there's something weird about this. So is they, it painful? No, it's not painful at all. And it's not it doesn't really limit my flexibility. It does a little bit. Um, but it is one of those things where it immediately labeled me as different and weird, particularly in middle school. Which and did is they bully the you? Was anyone oh, bullying you? Oh, it was such a mess. Um, so I transferred schools. I went to private school for seventh and eighth grade. And so I showed up in seventh grade, new girl in my scoliosis brace. Braces? And, I, <laughs> and braces, yes. And also and pimples? And, well, not pimples because I was late to hit puberty. So I was like this pupubescent girl with braces and a scoliosis brace. Um, and I was just so easy to pick on. Um, the way I sort of got out of being that kid was we had a substitute teacher and I would knock on my brace and he would think someone was at the door and that made me really cool for a little while <laughs> so like so you just awesome. like had to like negotiate your situation but needless to say like I was I won the award for like the most outstanding student in eighth grade and I was valedictorian as a senior in high school because I was in a scoliosis brace. Like, I wasn't going to be like homecoming queen. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. That's so crazy. I would actually picture you completely homecoming queen. Wasn't a cheerleader either. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you learn how to sail? So my mom went into labor with me on a sailboat. Um, my dad's a sailor, um, but his family wasn't sailing. He actually learned to sail with one of his dear friends growing up, like a high school friend. Mm-hmm. And then my dad's a family practice doc. We lived in Olympia. There's a lot of great you know, little inlets and marinas down there. And did you have a boat? We had a little boat, a 24-foot Columbia called Thor. Oh. Um, and my I was three weeks late. I was a 10-pound baby, and it was blowing. And my mom was like, I'm going out there. I am sick of sitting around here with this huge baby in my belly. And she went in labor with me, and I was born that night. In the hospital, not, in on, the the, hospital. not on the boat. But, but <laughs> side note, the electric- they were testing the generators that night, so actually the elevators were out. I was actually born in the hallway. There was a lot of excitement around my birth, um, but I was fine. I was just really big, and I feel bad for my mom. Oh, my gosh. Well, especially with the second, you're much more chill. Imagine yeah. if that was her first. Yeah. She would have been freaking out. Yes. Like, have your first in the hallway. <laughs> like, on get 
like in a boat, that would not be good. No. Um, and so you went to private school and then public school? Yep. I went to Charles Wright, which is a small public or private school in Tacoma. And then I went back to Capitol High School for um, public school for high school mm-hmm. and then went to Stanford for undergrad. And is Stanford a school that was kind of on your radar? Did your parents put it in your head? Like, I've had people on the podcast, I don't know if you've heard any of them, like Jane Park's story, for example. Yeah. She, like, her parents had never she first wanted to go to college, like, yeah. didn't know what to do. Not, like, my, all of my grandparents went to college, including my grandmothers. Like, we, The 104-year-old went to college? Yep. And Did her, they go to Stanford? Her mother went to Stanford, and her sister was the first woman to graduate from the Stanford Business School. Like, I my great-grandmothers all went to college. Like, college was always going to happen. And so was there an option for you to be mediocre? I don't think so. So you had pressure to be an achiever. I, I, like, I was never someone where, like, my parents paid me to get good grades. I was somebody where I was like, of course you're getting good grades. You're Heather Rogers, and that's yeah, what you do. You're smart. My sister got into Stanford, Harvard, and Yale on the same day. Oh, my gosh. And my dad really wanted her to go. My parents went to Stanford, and my dad in particular really wanted her to go to Stanford. And she's like, no, I'm going to Harvard. And I came into my mother telling my father, don't worry, Heather will go to Stanford. And I was like, guess I'm going to Stanford. This has been decided. Because <laughs> you're like a pleaser. Because <laughs> I am I, I'm working and being less of a pleaser, but I am a pleaser. Oh, my gosh. And, like, Stanford was great for me. Like, I love Stanford. It was totally the right choice. I was not—my sister was always so book smart and literary, and I was always science and outdoor and sporty. And that's a—particularly in the 90s, that was a great division between those two colleges, right? Um, Yeah. And so speaking of being sciencey and, like, all of the studies right now that are pointing to, like, this kind of um, lack of talent in— all of the sciences and technology among women, you're kind of a pioneer in that way. Like a lot of women did not study, I mean, you studied biology at Stanford. How did you get interested in that? And this might be my personal sort of perception and not reality, but to me, biology is uh, easier, friendlier of the STEM subjects than some of the like Ochem, physical chemistry, even sort of the computer sciences side of things. My dad's a physician. My mother was a nurse practitioner. People were coming to our house all of the time with medical questions. I would help my dad take out stitches. Like from a very young age, sort of like an apprenticeship, I knew that I was interested in the way the body worked. I went to Stanford to actually be a marine biologist. I didn't think I was going to be a physician, and my dad did not want me to be a physician. He was sad when I told him I was going to medical school because the changes in medicine had been so significant. He wasn't sure if I would live a life he wanted me to live, mm-hmm. always being on call, always having these challenges. Yeah. So I went to Stanford and went to Hopkins Marine Station and, like, studied nudibranchs and, like, octopuses and, like, did all of that. And um, I missed the human contact. I wanted to have someone to talk to. You're so good at it. I just like talking to people. You're so good at it. (laughs) I mean, aside from knowing that, like, I'm completely safe in your hands, because as you know, both of my parents have had, like, weird skin cancers. And, of course, like, as I'm getting older, I'm, like, panicking. And, like, I go to you to ask what to do. People say, what do you do? I'm like, I literally don't know. I just do whatever Heather tells me to do. And then my friends ask me what to do. And I say, just go to Heather and ask her what to do. Because you've got this, um, you're very trusting and trustworthy. And there's a certain bedside manner that you have that's very comforting. Because it can be scary to go to the germ. Thank you. That I feel very strongly that there are a few things that I do really, really well. And there's not that many of them, but there's a few. And I, if I can make those things easier for other people, that's where I derive a great deal of satisfaction. If I can explain sunscreen to someone, if I can explain to them what's easy and what's not easy and getting wrinkles on their face. Tell us, as long as we're on this subject, explain sunscreen. And you said 10%. So is that the white stuff that makes you look like ridiculous? No, it's not anymore. This is the thing. So, so sunscreen. Sunscreen does not cause cancer. It is not dangerous. Well, that I know. I know, but some people don't. Some people listening don't know I just that. don't want my face makeup to look weird with okay. sunscreen under it. So 
this year, JAMA came out with an article looking at the absorption of the chemicals in sunscreen. And unfortunately, the chemical blockers, we absorb a lot more of than we thought we did. So the FDA has approved one level of absorption of these chemicals, and we're absorbing somewhere between 5 and 50% more than that. That doesn't necessarily mean it causes cancer. It just means that we don't know what those levels in our blood are going to do long term. In addition to that, zinc provides the broadest protection, meaning it protects you the most from UVA as well as UVB. UVA comes through windows. UVA is what causes wrinkles and brown spots. So whether or not they were the same, zinc's better. Like, it's going to slow the aging process, so she should be using zinc. But that article really solidified it. In addition, there's a number of chemical sunscreens that are killing the organisms that allow coral to live. So what gives coral its color color is actually a microorganism, and those are being killed by some of these chemical sunscreens. So let's go to zinc yet again. So there's all of these things pushing us towards zinc, but zinc is more expensive to formulate and used to make you look white, ashy, chalky. Over the last year, they've done a really good job of making a number of good zinc, and I'll give you names. I bought the one from uh, from you. It's the, in a white tube, and it's I actually bought the tinted one. Yeah, the Dermaquest. I love it. Yes, Dermaquest. I love it. So even since then, there's more. So Dermaquest okay. has a great zinc one. I'll be back in. Um, Super Goop, like not Goop, Gwyneth Goop, but Super Goop. They started with just physical, just chemical sunscreens. They have so many good mineral sunscreens that not only are zinc-based, but they're like avocado oil-based, so they're hydrating. You can put them on your kids, and they're silicone-free. Okay. So there's a lot of really good zinc-based sunscreens out there. Super Goop. Super Goop Where is a great one. Where can we get Super Goop? Online. Sephora. Can we get it at Modern Yeah, you can get it at Modern Dermatology. You can get it at Sephora. You can get it online. Okay, Super and it. That people are moving, like powder sunscreens. There's all of these things out there now which are better for you, better for the environment, and really protective. Mm-hmm. And that's why I sort of equate sunscreen to like finding that pair of jeans that you love. You might have to try on like 10 pairs, but you will find it and then you'll be like, oh, this isn't such a pain in I the do ass. like the DermaQuest one that you recommended. I love it. That's I my really favorite. I really like that one. Is it important? This is me, like maybe my listeners don't actually give a <laughs> shit about this, but I do. I'm just curious about how important it is to wear. Um, organic makeup. I don't think it's important. So the the problem. So let's talk a little bit about restore and like how I got into this sort yes. of side of things because that that's where you're getting towards. The unfortunately, the FDA does not regulate skincare or makeup. Like really, we have fewer than fifty ingredients that are banned in the EU. There's one thousand five hundred, right? So there are ingredients that we don't know about, or actually we know are bad that are is in our skincare. And so unfortunately, particularly with makeup, the cheap stuff oftentimes contains contaminants, things that you don't want to be putting on your face, things you don't want your kids to be putting on your face. Do they need to be organic? No. But do you need to know what the ingredients are? Yes. And that's the part that it's hard sometimes to educate yourself on which ingredients are good and which ones are bad. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. So... What's nice about when something says organic, you're like, okay, well, then it can't have the bad stuff in it because it's organic. But it doesn't need to be organic. It just needs to not have the the concerning ingredients, the parabens, the, yeah. you know, these things where we're learning more that they could be playing a role in our health. Yeah. And so tell me about Restore. How did you come up with the name and how did you come up with the brand. I love the brand, just simple black and white. Yeah, very androgynous. How yeah. I dress. Is that how you dress. All day, every day. Um, so I, in night in 2014, I guess. So I am a um, physician who likes to do procedures. I am removing skin cancers. I am lasering. I am injecting. And after you injure someone's skin, you want to give them the best possible combination of things to heal their skin afterwards. And what I was taught in medical school and in residency was Cetaphil is great and Aquaphor is great and plain Vaseline is great. Um, And they're okay, but they're not great. And I felt like if someone's going to trust me to to remove a skin cancer on their nose or going to spend a whole bunch of money for me to laser their face, what they use afterwards, which is an incredibly important part of the healing process, needs to be great too. Like I'm only as good as the entire process. It's not just what I do in the office. And the first problem I identified was aquaphor. Aquaphor is Vaseline and lanolin. And lanolin is 
That's she, one of the bad ones, isn't it? Yeah. Look at you. Yes. Yes. No, I know this. So lanolin's no bueno. No bueno because it's sheep sweat. It's the stuff that they sweat to moisturize their hair, their wool. And so what happens is that your body can and often does develop allergies to that because it's an organic molecule coming from a different organism than us. So lanolin has never been shown to heal the skin faster than plain Vaseline. It has now been shown in the most recent study that 66% of kids with eczema are allergic to it, and yet it's in everything. And I saw reactions to it after I would laser someone's face. They would put it on their face to help heal. I'd tell them to get plain Vaseline. Instead, they would get Aquaphor, and they'd have a reaction to the Aquaphor, and we'd have a month of dealing with the redness. And I was like, okay, this is unacceptable. I need to find a better option. So I was like, just use plain Vaseline. The problem is, is plain Vaseline is... Petroleum. And then you said Cetaphil, but isn't Cetaphil the wash? Yeah, we'll get to Cetaphil, I promise. So plain Vaseline is okay. It's made out of oil, but like that's a fossil fuel. It's incredibly occlusive. And who wants to put oil on their face? So the first product was Restore Healing Balm, which is a plant-based balm, like an ointment. It's thick. It's greasy. Mm-hmm. And it heals. I've used it. I love it. And it's for chapped lips. It's for cuts. It's for scrapes. It's for those sorts of things. So it's for your most damaged skin. My issue with Cetaphil is everyone's told to use the Cetaphil face wash. The last two ingredients, it only has like nine ingredients. The last two are parabens, right? So it's supposedly safe and gentle. And to me, it feels like spit on the skin and it doesn't take off your makeup, but it doesn't irritate your skin, but it does accumulate in you and accumulate in the waterways, right? And like that is unacceptable to me. So then I had to make a face wash that would actually do something was safe. So for me, all of my products, first and foremost, have to be effective. Like they have to do something, but then they have to be safe. And then they have to be made out of biodegradable ingredients that do not accumulate in our world or in ourselves. And that's tricky. <laughs> like that's really So how did tricky. you know what you were doing? Um, Tell me step one. Step one was find the best possible, make the best possible product to heal the skin after injury. That but, was like, but I mean, like, do you just sit in your kitchen and blend stuff or you no, call someone who I, knows more than you or like what do you do i spend a lot of time on pubmed so i do research so i didn't blend anything in my kitchen i did like a deep deep dive into all of the literature out there on healing skin on wound care right. what has been used what has been studied what is safe what don't we know about that's amazing thank you <laughs> it, no it's really amazing because you're thinking like okay you got stanford for undergrad then you go to uw <laughs> Medical school, then you go get your residency at Columbia, and you're like, oh, not enough. Let me study more in my abundant spare time. Like, that's a lot of research. It was a lot of research. It was it was a compulsion. It, I and, the, and my husband teases me now because it's going to be okay, but he referred to this as my expensive hobby that took me away from the family. And I, he'd ask me, like, why do you need a skincare line? Like, why are you doing this? And I, it, it's a compulsion. Like, I needed to find, I, I couldn't believe in this $3 billion industry that there weren't good skincare products. And then when I realized that there weren't things that you could count on in your time of need, like there's great fun stuff to use, mm-hmm. but like if your skin is really jacked, like if it really needs to get from point A to point B, there isn't anything out there that you can trust. And that just was a white space I couldn't allow to exist. I had to fill it. And that's where this came from. And so you just make a decision that you're going to launch this brand. Mm -hmm. And so how did you get into this industry that seems a little bit like, first of all, New York centric? Totally. And kind of big and scary. And how did you know what you were doing? I didn't have any idea. And I have been so fortunate in so many ways. I made, so I figured out what I wanted in the product. I've found a manufacturer or a lab to help me that was in Arizona. And I would say, hey, I want this. I want this ratio. We made it. I then proceeded to do three years of testing to get the FDA certified as a skin protectant. A lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of craziness. Um, But if I was going to put it on open skin, on healing skin, I had to know it was super safe. I then, after I passed all the testing and was, and I did actually a split face trial comparing how skin healed with Restore Healing Balm versus Aquaphor. And that was performed actually in New York City by a a third party because I wouldn't be objective. And it blew Aquaphor out of the water. 
like the skin healed faster. The patients all pr preferred it. Like I was like, okay, I actually have done this. I have created a product that is better. I have data to support it. Everyone's going to want it. And I immediately made 12,000 of them. I just did it. And I literally shipped them to my basement with no website, with no marketing, with like no idea what I was doing. Because I've, I've solved the problem. Everyone's going to want it. Of I course. then gave out. It's just about people knowing about it. That, that's how I felt about it. Right. And I was very wrong. Right. So then I proceeded to hand out 12,000 or no. 5,000 of the 12,000 jars at the big derm conference, the American Society of Dermatologic Surgery, being like, oh, my goodness, everyone, look, I've solved our problem. And not a single order, not, no interest, no one cared at all. And why? I have no idea. Like, I think we're set in our ways. I think people, I think dermatologists. Do you think it's because dermatologists are like, I know better? I do. Like I think competitive? Like, that's not your target audience. <sighs> I, it was. I started it as a solution for the dermatologist because I felt like as dermatologists, we would be able to reach more patients. And I do think a little bit of that is I do know better. I also think that we as dermatologists are just bombarded with crappy products all day, every day. And so we so have it's like this, white noise. It's like white noise. It's so difficult to get someone to pay attention. And so um, it. I had to pivot. I had to say, okay, derms aren't going to be the go people who are interested. straight to the consumer. I have to go straight to the consumer. And um, my uncle, my dad's older brother, was um, the president and CEO of Dryer's Ice Cream and sold it to Nestle for a lot of money. It was an incredibly successful businessman. And he has passed. And one of my last conversations with him was like, okay, I've got this great idea. I, and I, I don't know what to do with it. And he, he was cute. He's like, first of all, you know, nine out of 10 businesses fail. So don't feel bad if this doesn't work. You've got your dermatology thing. Second thing is, if this is going to work, you need somebody who knows beauty. Like, you don't know beauty, and you have to find someone who knows beauty. And that was hard a little bit for me to hear, but really good advice. And he, uh, less than a month later, passed away. He died on the tennis court. Um uh, totally unexpectedly, um, tragically, but also like he got, to, you know, he died doing what he loved doing. He died doing what he was doing like. and been incredibly successful, sort of at the top of his, you know, he's been very, he had a wonderful life, but it's tragic. So, and the day after he died, I reached out to someone who was a mutual acquaintance who actually was fraternity brothers with my cousins, and his wife was a beauty consultant. And he put me in touch with Michelle. And Michelle, was a VP at Derm Store and like had had four kids and was now doing her own consulting business. And I gave her my pitch. And she's like, Heather, I've heard 10,000 pitches. This is the best idea I've ever heard. I am in. And I am totally in. And she's actually still the president of the company. And we've been working together for three years. And she can speak the beauty language. I talk about wounds and cuts and stitches. And I like to be all doctory. And she's like, no, this is so much more than that. And she is, you know, she's the reason why we're in Credo and Derm Store. And, yeah, tell you know, me where you are now. We are, How do we find it? Because I only know because I know you yeah so we're we're if it's a high-end brand we're there so we're in net-a-porter we're in cosbar we are in violet gray we are in derm store we are in carbon beauty we are in credo we are in revolve we're on amazon and we're, goop i think oh yeah well we are in goop goop loves us and talks about us a lot and i would like because i to know be, that i read something in yeah, goop goop um their their beauty director is a big fan and likes what i'm doing and i hope to be there soon we just haven't and what do you want to do with the business? Because you can never leave dermatology. <laughs> and I never want to. Like your patients will flip. I will. So I will never leave dermatology. And if you asked me today, if you had to give up one of your two businesses, I would give up Restore before I would give up being a doctor um, without question. I don't want to have to give up either. And I don't think I need to. Um, the, my goal is to make probably 10 products that are the essentials that everyone needs. So your body cream, your face cream, things that you're putting on all of you, things that you can count on in your time of need. I'm not in the world of anti-aging. I'm not in the oh, the new peptide growth factors. My products make it so your skin's healthy so you can tolerate the next procedure or the retinol or the peptides. Like that is a billion dollar industry where there's always going to be a new hot thing that I'm going to want to try that I'm going to recommend that you try. Like that's the fun of it. I want the stuff that you count on. Just like I can use it on myself. I can use it on my husband. I can use it on my kids. I can use it on my dog. Like mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. It's pure. It's effective. It's safe. And it will make my skin look and feel healthy and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, and that's have, have you had any surprises with the feedback as far as how people are using it? Um, <laughs> yes. And so the... 
the feedback is remarkable. Like I have hundreds of five-star reviews, like once people find it. I only have two products right now, a face wash and a face um, and the healing balm. My cream and lotion are coming out this fall. And the once you find it, people become obsessed, right? It's like, how did I leave the house without this before? Um, but I was interviewed by Cosbar and you know, I have at least one person who thinks that the Restore Healing Balm is the best sexual lubricant she's ever used. Oh, like, and is it safe for that? Totally. And it, because it's petroleum-free, it doesn't break down latex. Like, it's totally, and it's edible. Like, it's great for that. But it's just one of but these things. But that's not what you're That's not my top 100 uses, but it's now in my top 100 uses. Yeah. Um, there is a very, very accomplished tattoo artist. Um, his name's Winterstone, and he... Tattoos Miley Cyrus and Lady Gaga and Christy Teigen, and um, he's started using it actually on himself after his most recent tattoo. And he's like, I've never seen anything heal as quickly. So he actually reached out to me about doing a collaboration. So we're going to be doing something with him come January of next year. And like, that's what I think is the most satisfying is that people who know their business see how our products make a significant difference like he's tattooed millions of people he's never seen the tattoo heal so well so it's the only thing he will use now he was in new york and he literally texted me i need you to message me more stuff because i won't let anyone use anything else i was in seattle so actually liz hale God bless her. Liz Hale is a dear friend of both Shana's and mine, who's a dermatologist in New York. Her office messaged it down for him because he was in Soho and I couldn't get it to him from Seattle in two hours. That's amazing. And so when you started Modern Dermatology, did you think that you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur or you just knew you wanted to be a doctor? I knew I wanted to be. I actually, it's something you've touched on in previous podcasts. Business and like I think women in business was something that was very foreign to me. My uncle being such a successful businessman, I think, did make me sort of envious of that, being like, I wish I had thought about business, but I was raised in a household where it was really like doctor, lawyer, fireman. Like, You're like doctor, <laughs> lawyer, fireman, Stanford. Yeah, exactly. But like, but I didn't. Sailing. Exactly. It didn't, it didn't, business didn't cross my mind. But I do think that even with that, like my dad started a clam farm, like just weird. There's little entrepreneurs little, everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. And so that is what longer story, I started in Seattle at a different dermatology practice. And then it became clear that if I really wanted to be an equal partner, I needed to have my own practice, but I like to be a partner. So my new practice, I opened with another physician, James Collier, because I like to work in teams. Like I like to play doubles, right? So I think the process of going through that made me realize that I could do this as sort of the you know, the are you what 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 stuff are you made of, right? Mm-hmm. So me realizing that I could create a dermatology practice from st- scratch has taught me like I can probably make anything from scratch right. if I use my instincts and I'm not as scared to like well, and double your confidence. down. Yeah, yeah, your confidence. Totally. I looked at it when I first came in and thought, okay, so she's touched everything because you see it when it's already done, right? Everything's beautiful. The branding of the of the dermatology office is beautiful. It's a well-oiled machine. They call when they say they're going to call. Everything's confirmed. Like it's a it's just a well-run business. And so, was that a part that you had to learn? Because usually that's like a different part of the brain. <laughs> For me, like how do I keep the filing and how do I, which systems do I use and what colors do I choose and all of it? So yes and no. Like what I, it's taking me a little while to get here, but I, I am a visionary. I am somebody who like, I can identify the forest and I can not get caught up in the trees. Mm-hmm. So which system to use? I didn't know. I found someone who was smart, who I trusted, who was capable saying, mm-hmm. this is what I, this is my expectation for my practice. Which of these symptoms? symptoms but did you have a consultant or you hired like a someone? An office manager. Office manager. Yep. And she just knew what to do. Yeah, And we figured it out. Like we, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where, but, but in regards to like the color scheme and like the countertops, that's me. Like yeah. I, I love those details. I'm a very visual person and I'm, you know, I another taupe doctor's office, like, kill me now. Like, yeah. that wasn't going to be what was going to happen. Yeah. It was going to be bright. It was going to be white. It was going to be black. It was going to be modern. And um, and it's modern dermatology. <clears throat> and it's modern And dermatology. how did you come up with the name? My husband did. Um, oh, go the, the, um What's your husband's name again? Matt. My husband's name is Matt Ashback, and he's an ENT. Oh, yeah. Um, and so one of the reasons why we opened Modern Dermatology is that in this town, 
a great deal of dermatologic care and cosmetic care is done by mid-level providers. So there's a singular overseen surgeon, plastic surgeon, dermatologist, and then there's a whole bunch of PAs, nurse injectors. And that was not something that I wanted to do. That wasn't my, I wasn't about making money over quantity. I was about quality. And so I wanted a name where the initials reflected that we were physicians. So MD was really important to me. And like, if you look at our logo, of course, the MD is the line in between. And there's the three lines because I'm a huge dork and it's epidermis, dermis, and subcutis, which are the three layers of the skin, right? So like, you are a dork. I'm a huge (laughs) dork. Everything has double meanings. So like but that I wanted I wanted to be a first aid symbol. I wanted it to be you are going to be at care by physicians and then the three lines because that was like a little nod to my dorky youth. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. And so um where is it now compared to where you want it to go? Because what I know is that I can't get in. Yes. And everyone that I refer can't get in and then I'm like, "Please, Heather, because so, I'm good at that. I'm good at promoting my people that I love. And I'm like, we're going to have to clone you. Um, you're kind. Um, I love helping people and I love being sought after. Like I I want the people who want to see me to see me. And um, and I can't do everything. So we. I am currently booking a year out. I had a patient yesterday who needed to reschedule her CO2 lasering, and I couldn't get her back in until April. And she's somebody I love, and I would love to get back in. And that's not sustainable. I have to plan my vacations 18 months in advance. Like, it is not. And if I... I'm sure Matt loves that. No, yeah, Matt loves it. Matt's a saint. But, like, there's hysterics regularly about people not getting in. Like, it has gotten out of control, and I have to... Um, I have to limit what I'm going to see and do. Yes. I can't I can't take care of every 25-year-old with acne. Like, there's a number of amazing dermatologists yes. who can do that. There are a few things that I what do. What about Botox? Could you outsource that? I could outsource Botox. Because I feel Botox. like a lot of people do Botox. Lots of, but exactly. And all three of the doctors in my office do Botox. And yeah. then, as we talked about, there's a nurse inject- injectors. There's all these people. For me, I want to... I don't want my patients to have to go four different places. I want the people who see me to be able to trust that I will find their skin cancer. I will do their Botox. I will do their lasering. Yes. And there's just going to have to be a few fewer of them because I can't do that for everybody. And it's annoying for all of my patients that they're like, I have a big event in six months. I just want to look good in six months and I still can't fix it for them, right? Yeah, so that's got to be frustrating. We're working on it. And I, I think for modern dermatology, the goal will be we have two estheticians now. I think we'll have a third esthetician. I think we'll have four doctors. And I will focus on sort of scars. So I'm really good at removing skin cancer. That's like what I love to do and what I'm good at. I fix scars that are ugly. Like plastic surgeons send me their scars. I laser them. Like I I make scars go away. Okay. And then I, so pretty much high risk skin cancer patients, scars, problems, like people who really are self-conscious affected by something that's on their face in particular, I can make, I usually can make that scar look at least 50% better with a little bit of work and shushing. And then I do do the anti-aging thing. And I think that's really going to be the focus of my practice. And the once a year skin exam person and the like wart person and the rash person, I'm not going to see those individuals. I'm like, la, 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 la. You're used to it. I'm like warts and rash. Maybe it just sounds weird in my headphones. And I love, I love treating those people, but there's lots of people out there who can do a brilliant job with those things. And my my office, like everyone, it's it's unnecessary anxiety over coming to see me, and we have to like no, that totally totally makes chill sense. it out. That totally makes sense. Well, um, I'm super grateful that I like you are always I'm, in there, I'm, Shauna. I'm on the list. I can you are never, on the list. God forbid, yeah. I get off that list. Um, what's so what? I know you grew up here, but like, and then you were in um, all over the place, yeah. California, and then New York. What brought you back here? Did you always know you wanted to come back to Seattle? Yes. So and Matt's from where? Here, he's from the San Juan Islands. How did you meet? Him? Oh, mm-hmm. oh, sailor. He is a sailor. How did you meet him? I met him over a dead body, literally in medical school. Ew. Ew. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like in cadaver class. Like we were. Our first year of medical school was together. Um. So I went to Stanford. I didn't go east. My sister had gone east, and she was very adamant that to have a well-rounded education, I needed to go to the east coast. So I was going to Yale Medical School, and then my sister was hit by a car and killed. And I knew that my parents were not going to survive with me being that far away. And so I had gotten into the University of Washington, and I begged them to let me switch. 
And they said they would let me switch if I took a year off, but that I wasn't going to be in the mental state to deal with medical school after just losing my only sibling. And I said, you don't know me. How, how old were you? I was 23. And how old was she? 25. Oh. So I was like, you don't know me. The only way I'm going to get through this is if I get into medical school. And um, You have to have a distraction. Yeah. And I, I mean, I... Have you dealt with this? I, I'm a really good crier. So if that means like... I'm very in touch with my emotions and I cry a lot. I don't know um, how else to deal with it besides know that life is sweet and short and to love the people you love as hard and as fast as you can, right? Um, So I came back to medical school, started the same year, and Matt, my now husband, saw me crying in the hallway a lot. And I didn't know Um. anyone um, because I had gone to school in California, right? So I didn't know anyone and I was trying to have it to be together. And I would like, there was, my sister died of being hit by a car of a traumatic brain injury and medical school starts with traumatic brain injuries and like how as doctors you need to be different and deal with this. And that was sort of immersion therapy to say the least. And Matt had lost a dear friend who'd been hit by a car while he was on a bike the same year that Brooke had died. And um, he was like, he told me that story and he was like, if you want, you can sit next to me. And it was just very, very sweet. And, you know, people say he was taking advantage of a weak woman. But (laughs) either way, either way, I he sort of gave me a shoulder to cry on really early on. And um, we started dating, you know, probably three, four months after medical school started. Um, And sort of as we were dating, you know, and asking your your question, you asked me about um, if I dealt with it. I remember Matt saying, you know, you are sometimes so much fun and sometimes you cry a lot. (laughs) But like I was, I was, I was grieving and, and I still am grieving. You don't get over something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really can't imagine. No. I really can't. And that. Oh, but so that things. was your point. So, so your point so was you I came finished back medical to be school. With the family. So I came back to medical school to be with the family, which means I didn't do what I promised my sister was go east. Mm. So then we went east for our residencies. I was like, I got it. I still got it. Matt do it. went with you. Yeah. So Matt and I went together to New York. He did his ENT residency. I did my derm residency. How nice that you both got oh, accepted. There was nothing about that that was nice. I did 171 applications. Like, I. It was just it was just a grind. You just had to jump through as many hoops as possible because to get into Durham and to get into ENT in the same city is nearly impossible. Right, but that's incredible that you did. The um, the where did he do his residency? He did it at um, Albert Einstein. Oh, okay. And then I was at Columbia. But the great thing about New York is there were so many programs. Oh, yeah. right. But like Michigan wanted Matt, they didn't offer me an interview. UW wanted me, they didn't offer Matt an interview. So like I was calling places and saying no to German interviews, and they were like, no one turns down a German interview. I was like, well, I really like this guy. So so it was a. Uh, and then you got engaged after medical school? Oh, no, I wasn't. I told him I wasn't going to follow him unless we were engaged. And I actually tried to propose to him. And he's like, you don't get to ask me to marry you. <laughs> but I was like, if we're going to do this, like, we should be married. Like, I'm just incredibly pragmatic. Like, it's just like, we're in love. Let, and he's like, no, I. this is going to happen on my time. And like a, a month Why later. is that? Don't you think that's a little bizarre? It is a little well, bizarre. Because it's like another Jane Park reference, but she proposed to her husband. And I... I'm so strangely traditional that would never have crossed my mind. But why is it? Is it still the case? I mean, I've never asked people that are like 20 in their 20s. I mean, I think fewer and fewer people ask, are getting. Ask, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, pe- women are. We're asking. We're, we're asking think, the studio engineer. <laughs> I think people are fewer people are getting married. I think the institution of marriage is is a traditional yeah. thing. Well, we were supposed to be dead by like 40. Totally. So you're like, hey, I could deal with you for like 15, 20 years, but like. 50, 60, that's yeah. serious business. Yeah. Oh, so my gosh. I am remarkably old-fashioned in some ways, and I think it was more like if I am going to follow this, because in, when we were in medical school, ENT matched before germ, so I had to follow him. Oh. And so if I'm following you, there, this yeah, needs to— Yeah, you better put a ring on it. <laughs> yeah, all the single ladies, right? So that was figured out, and um, I did end up following him, and I did end up being in New York. But then once we finished— um, I love New York. I could have been there for a lot longer. Yes. Like we would have been like BFFs uh, in New York, totally. danger zone. And like Liz and Julie, like yeah. I could have joined them. Like pipe dream would have been amazing. Yeah. But when it came to like kids, dog, sailing, house, you know, all the things I had been raised with. My husband being from the San Juan Islands, my parents still being in Olympia, 
it just made sense to come home. So really, the only place we looked was the I-5 corridor between Olympia and Anacortes. And I was like, I'm not going to move to Mount Vernon. Like, that's not happening. Right. So it was pretty much Seattle or Seattle or Seattle. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so, so happy. Around the time that I met you was around the time that I moved back. So I right, feel like yeah. we moved back to Seattle around the same time. Oh, Liz sent you my way. She was like, you got to take good care of this girl. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully Liz is listening to this. Hi, Liz. <laughs> I'm seeing Liz this weekend, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, we will talk about that more later. I love so, Liz. um I wanted to ask you um, a couple of totally non-related questions to Derm or to even being a businesswoman, more like mom stuff. Yeah. Um, do you suffer from kind of guilt of, <laughs> oh, I just saw the eye roll. You can't see. <laughs> Oh, we all have it. Yes, tremendously. I um, It's better now that my kids are six and eight, but because I work so much out of the home, when I wasn't at work, I really felt like I had to be home. And mm-hmm. that did put my girlfriend relationships and even my relationship with my spouse on the back burner a little bit because I was like, I don't want to get a babysitter. I haven't been home all day. I want to be with my kids. Even if the kids weren't that much fun at that moment. But like I did... That has been a lot of shoulds, probably a lot of shoulds, and and I've gotten better at that. The kids have gotten older, and um, but it it was hard. Yeah, no, it is hard. I was just telling a friend of mine this morning that as my kids are getting like high school, middle school, I think it's almost harder now to balance both than it was when they were little because I got to make all the decisions (sighs) for them when they were little. Like, okay, I signed you up for this, I signed you up for that, and now the kids have opinions about everything, and so I need to like talk to them (laughs) more before I make decisions. And sometimes I just want to execute and just check my list. Um, And then also on top of it, I think that the conversations are more intense and they're more real life conversations that I don't want to have someone else handle them. I'd rather have those conversations. So I'm craving the kids more than ever right now, um, which is hard because I also am really driven. And it's very tough to balance both, but I think you do an incredible job. Do you have any hacks for us on like how you, uh, I know you don't, I know you eat whatever you want. Um, Google Heather Rogers, you will want to kill her. um, So I think I was late to realize that it's okay to get help. And like, if you're busy and um, and you want to have time for your kids, don't feel bad about having that housekeeper come twice a week or do your laundry and like, don't feel bad about, you know, someone going to the grocery store for you. Like, I've had to become brutal in my prioritization. And at the top of my list is time with my husband and children. And so what what can I give up, you know? And and I have, I have this year, we moved and I spend more time in the car. And that broke me <laughs> briefly. And then... Except it, you have your podcasts. Yeah, exactly. I have my podcast, but it just, that was an hour in the car that I hadn't planned for. And like to truly, my day is divided by 10 minute inter- increments. Like it's just the way it is. So if you take away six of those, what am I going to do? Um, and so there was some tears. And then I was like, I just need more help. Like I just need to make I need to make something go away that I don't have to do. And um, this summer and has been probably my least stressful summer since having children because I did let someone go to the grocery store for me and I did have some help driving the kids around and I did get up and leave before the kids were up. Like I drive the kids to school every single morning. And so to do that, then you can't do phone calls. You can't do anything. But I'm like, if they're not going in the same direction I'm going, someone else can take them to camp and I can actually like get some exercise or get some of my calls done for restore before I see my 40 patients. And that has been that has been a game changer mm-hmm. just in um i think i think all women in general are amazing multitaskers and we all take on somewhere between 15 and 25% more than we really should mm-hmm. and i was at the 25% mark and i'm like back down to the 15% mark hopefully this is entertaining and interesting to people but i'm also hopeful that people can feel inspired or get some nuggets and i do see a pattern among women of having trouble delegating and letting go I don't have that problem. I'm perfectly fine with that. I just, it also comes with the guilt. And then I'm like, well, if I am with my kids and I'm on my phone, does that really count? Like if you're not yeah. present basically and making it all count, I, I think that it's really hard not to feel guilty either about work or about home. And um, it doesn't come up for men. It has yeah. come up on almost every woman podcast. That, And I'm asking the same questions about balance and about time and um 
I think there's a, still the pressure. We're not quite there yet where no. women feel that they have to do it all. And they women get pressure from other women. That's what drives me crazy. I agree with you. Like I'm... to show up to the barbecue with like, I just ran into the store and grabbed this instead of made the homemade with the homemade sauce and the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> you right? No, 100%. I... The the guilt, and I think what goes with the guilt is also just, and there's been lots of podcasts that have talked about this, about the mental space. We are the organizers. We are the keepers of the details for the family. And that with that sort of is such an exhausting process. And it does sort of prevent you to be as effective in your workplace because you're like, oh, is Brooke going to soccer today? Like you're always sort of- You're in execution mode. Exactly. And so I have tried very hard with the last year of really giving some of those details to my husband. Like I don't plan any vacations anymore. I used to plan the vacations. Don't do it. He does such a great job. And like when I'm working on Restore, he's planning vacations. That's great. But like we had to have sort of sit down like discussion. This is our. It could be another thing as your kids get older to have him do homework. Yes. Well, I mean, I like homework, right? Oh, but it's God, true. Of course, you of do. course, I like homework. I love homework. I don't. I'm like, that's daddy's category. Yeah. When my kids, I'm like, daddy's smarter than mommy. Go ask daddy. No, but don't say that. That's I'm not kidding. true. What you well, can say he's that. better at school. Okay. He remembers stuff. Yeah. I don't remember stuff. I was like, I think I was absent that day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like, literally, I'm like, this homework is hard. It's hard, but you could figure it out, and they should see Probably. you figure it out. I know. I do other things for them. Okay. I'm, I'm a sure role you model do. in other ways. Okay. Homework is his category. I mean, that's fine. Like, I've also, like, with Matt, I'm like, you got to pay the bills. I paid all the bills up until... Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? No, I paid all the bills. Like, I did all the stuff, and I just was like, I, I can't. It's such a female thing. I'm so surprised and not surprised. No. Yeah. But crazy. you don't need to. Like, you just need a good yeah. partner. And I'm incredibly fortunate that I have a good partner who I sort of view as like the second engine on my boat, right? Like he just adds another 250 horsepower and like really, I think, enjoys the sort of the excitement that Heather Rogers brings to to what's going to happen next in the Rogers-Ashback household because I am, there's always something new coming down the pipeline. It probably won't change. You're just getting started is my guess. I feel lucky because I feel like you are going to be on the, um, how I built this podcast (laughs) and I'm like, I got you early. (laughs) <laughs> on the What Fuels You podcast, which leads me to my final question, which is ultimately what fuels you? Um, love. I know that sounds cheesy, but I just really, the human connection is so important to me. And having lost my best friend um, is my sister. Like, I'm always, like, just so thankful and grateful for those times where you get to sit down and connect with someone and feel like they've made your day better, you've made their day better, and this world of everyone being so angry, I, I, as I said, I can't listen to the news because I get so frustrated, but I love my daily interactions, like my individual interactions with people, people are wonderful, but the news people, like what's going on in the world is terrible, and so I try to be very microscopic about making the world a better place and just my interactions with people and problems that I can solve. And you do a great job of it. I feel lucky. Thank you so, so, so much for being on the podcast. I'm pumped. Thank you for Super having me. Pumped. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com. To provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.